0: Hi guys, welcome back to Humanity Unlocked. I am your host, Kimberly Dia, and also sitting with me is our resident therapist, Katira Ross, as well as our guest today, Tara Sunahara. I'm really looking forward to our conversation on this episode. Initially, when I was told about Tara, I was told very little. I was told she had an interesting story and that there was some um, trauma involved, and but that was pretty much the extent of it. So when I reached out to her, it was via text, and the impression I got was very different than the one I got upon meeting her in person. Sometimes when we get a description of a person's circumstances, we can anticipate what that person's demeanor might be. And with the little bit I knew about her story, let's just say I was not prepared to be met with a literal beam of light and ball of sunshine in human form. Over the last couple of days since meeting Tara in person, it occur to me that there are many different ways of coping with trauma and many i never considered my observation based on nothing clinical and on no expertise by the way is that most people choose to cope one of two ways we either spiral or we isolate but i think there's a third one and maybe even a fourth and a fifth for all i know but the third way i've come to realize is masking i've talked to many trauma survivor since the start of this podcast Um, and spiraling and isolating are what I tend to hear most about. But Tara has truly opened my eyes to the fact that so many of us will choose to mask our trauma. And I think I have done all three. I started with masking and then spiraled and then isolated. So on some level I could relate to the manner in which she's taken to cope. But on another level, I found it so fascinating that she remained so upbeat and positive for so many years in the face of such tragedy. So Tara is here with us today to tell her story and thankfully we also have our favorite therapist Katira here to assist us in the conversation help shed light on the topic of trauma, the different ways we cope, how and why it can be so misunderstood and if it can actually manifest in the body when it goes untreated. So without further ado please join me in welcoming our guest Tara to the studio. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tara. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, Okay, so we're going to dive right into your story. But before we do, I want to start by giving our listeners a brief background. So you grew up in Oklahoma with your mom, and without going into too much detail, I know you experienced some hardship in childhood that led to you putting yourself into foster care right after your 17th birthday. And this is, this was in May of 1992 at the end of your junior year in high school. And then in December, you made the choice to move to California to live with your father. So for the purpose of this episode, this is where your story begins. But I want to give you the freedom to share whatever you're comfortable sharing about the choice to go into foster care, as well as the choice to move to California. Can you tell us a little bit about that time in your life? Sure. Um, It was a really difficult time in
1: my life. I was a sophomore in high school, um, you know, a moody teenager. Um, I worked full-time. I was very active in school. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of of challenges in the home life. Um, you know, my mom, <clears throat> who is a survivor in her own right, right. Um, you know, she did start drinking and coping in unhealthy ways, and it got very apparent that it wasn't really safe for me to be in the home environment anymore. And um, I had these amazing bosses, um, Heidi, um, that I would, many times she would take me home and things weren't good at home. And she would just have me come and spend the weekend with her right. and have me get my schoolwork. And so I would go and stay with her. But on that final day of school in and. Um, 1992 um there was a big fight that broke out between my mother and i and alcohol was definitely involved and and it was just apparent i had to leave yeah. and um i remember running to a payphone and calling mrs banks heidi and and asking her if she would come get me um and she did and i i didn't know if it was going to be for the night i wasn't really sure what that call was going to lead to uh-huh. more I just I needed saving for the for the moment, yeah, and I needed someone that could come and be there for me. And so she came, she picked me up, brought me home. I had nothing with me. It was just me. And um yeah, I spent the night and finished that last day of school finals the very next day. and um, she told me I could stay as long as I needed to, oh
0: wow, yeah, so this was your this ended up being your foster care yeah, okay. they it it came I I wasn't
1: sure what the long term was going to be then I reached out to my dad he lived in California. I didn't really have a whole lot of relationship with him um you know. <laughs> He and my mom had a very complicated marriage Uh and then um, divorce after. I didn't even share this with you (laughs) earlier, but he had kidnapped us from my mom when we were little. When they started their separation, he came and he he took us to... California so he had very restricted yeah. time with us yeah. and so I only saw him about once every five years uh-huh. and then we would have some phone calls along the way so this decision to live with him you know I didn't know what to expect and lo and behold he was in another country with the military mm. and so um it settled it the banks were like you're staying with us and so I I stayed with them and finished out that next half of the school year. Right. um, That fall semester, which was perfect because I worked really hard. Yeah. And wanted to do, you know, I worked really hard and auditioned for Color Guard and Show Choir because I wanted to have something positive to reflect back on from my childhood time in high school. And so I accomplished that and it was important to me to finish it. Yeah. So I did that. And then um, when it was finished, that semester was done, I felt like, I just felt like I outstayed my welcome. They never said I Mm -hmm. did, but my heart felt like my dad deserves the chance to be a father. He always wanted to be a father. And so with that, I bought a plane ticket and packed up. My, My suitcase California. of stuff yeah. and moved myself to California. Wow. I,
0: I don't want to get too much off track here. And it's very easy for me to do because I get really into it, but um, into wanting to hear more. But um, how, and we didn't really discuss this in during the pre-interview, but how did your mom react to that? To me moving? Yeah. To I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know because...
1: Um, there was one point where I needed, um, I got an eye infection pretty early into living with the banks and she wasn't happy. I mean, I, I they couldn't take me, they took me to a little clinic and my mom wasn't happy about that. She wasn't going to come she's like, you chose to leave. Okay. I'm not going to, you know, support. come support me and, and Heidi did kind of, um, Insisted mm-hmm. that she come and get me, or she was going to make other calls, mm-hmm. right, and make things very difficult for my mom. And mm-hmm. then at that point, my mom signed over I guardianship, get, gotcha, to Heidi and Lewis, and so I could get the health coverage that I needed for that time. Mm. And so from there, I didn't talk to my mom for about eight years. It was wow, long, it was a very long time that we didn't speak because I needed to know that it was taken serious yeah. and that my brothers wouldn't suffer the same fate mm-hmm. of these series of bad decisions that were happening in our home. Right, um, And so, yeah, I, I felt until behaviors changed, I couldn't have a relationship. And so I moved to California and there was really no more conversation about it.
0: Yeah, I mean this is, in for the listeners, you guys will see a theme throughout with sort of how she's very strong-minded and knew exactly what she needed when she needed it, and for some reason had the instincts to know which moves to make every step of the way. So this is just a little preface for what's coming. Um, during your during our pre-interview uh you mentioned that your dad um as much as he wanted to take you and he wasn't particularly prepared to be a full-time father probably because he hadn't done it <laughs> uh, so what was that like for you
1: well it was weird because my my dad always carried this anger and um about the fact that he always wanted to be a dad yeah and he had that opportunity stripped away from him although he could never see his own parts in that and why that was taken away from him um but now he has this opportunity and the beginning was great he took me out shopping got me new school clothes my dad loved clothes and shopping he loved that part what a blessing but (laughs) he didn't understand those other things of responsibility, like keeping groceries in the home. Right. And I mean, there were many times I'm like, Dad, there's no food. Right. I mean, there's not even crackers.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: You know, and I'm like, we need something. And so eventually he would take me and we would go to the commissary and we would get the groceries in the home but it was almost like he was blind yeah. to the fact now he did work a couple of different jobs so he was busy too but it was like i always had to bring that back to his attention or if i needed to go to the doctor and it's like oh well i'm just gonna schedule my own doctor's appointment right and i've never had to do any of those things and so it was like i always had to like walk yeah. him around to it now keep in mind my dad is also full hispanic and the cultural differences, I wasn't raised in that kind of environment as well. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom is Caucasian. And, um, you know, I, being a very independent, strong-willed person, would always kind of speak my mind. That didn't go over very well, <laughs> well. With your dad. And, you know, my dad was very used to where the men was like the leaders yeah. in the family. and. And I'm trying to lead, but also trying to balance that he doesn't know, and mm-hmm. and so it was always this kind of juggle, yeah. and it caused tension at times. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, and I think it it's like there is some ego in you know (laughs) obviously when you're you're the grown one and then your child is trying to tell you to do your job I'm sure for a man there's some ego but also too like some people are born with parental instincts you know motherly instincts you know all that even father fatherly instincts and some people just aren't like they don't have the instincts oh yeah oh you need to eat oh you need to go to the doctor it's almost as if some people aren't and not just your dad I mean there's I know a number of people that just don't have the instincts to be a parent the way some others do. So um, mm-hmm. over time, I know you developed a very close relationship with your high school best friends' family, and you began referring to them yeah. as your adopted family. Um, and you wound up doing really well in school, as I understand. But you still remained close with your dad. You your dad continued to raise you throughout high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how was school for you finishing out high school out in California?
1: Um, you know, school was good. I continued doing color guard, which was I was really excited for that. I always. Um, you know, I wanted something very physically active. I liked the dance component of that. And so I became Color Guard captain or Mm co-captain with my best friend, Becky, um, and loved it. But Color Guard has a lot of commitment. Mm -hmm. There's traveling to different performances and games, football games. And again, my dad, you know, was like, oh, no setting out a calendar. What are your commitments? What can I get you to? What can I not get you to? You know, he didn't understand any of that stuff. Right. And I didn't want to be a burden because, you know, that's always like a top of mind for me. And so there were many times Becky's family would just take, they would take me with them. And so they were my avenue of getting to many of these activities and, um, performances and, and yeah, they had just, they always showed up for everything when there was a gap and a yeah. vacancy. Um, I was Spanish club president. Um, I was um, in jazz choir and show choir and, and um, I was very active in those ways too, all while working a full-time job. Oh my gosh. Um, and, you know, I felt like I needed to be able to support all my activities and all the things that I needed for myself. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I still kept good grades and, you know, I had dreams of going to college, um, but also knew I was petrified of student loans because I saw what that did to my mom mm. when she finally finished college and her, the amount of debt she had that she seemed to be so trapped under. Mm. And so I was frightened of, of student loans. So I did go to college, but it was just like
0: one or two classes at a time. Yeah. yeah. Um, while I worked full time, but oh, yeah. Oh my god. Well, I just, you went through a lot and you took on a lot at the same time. Did the attitude that we're seeing today, is that the attitude you had back then? Were you always so positive and optimistic or did you, were you... Business. I was. I was always very positive,
1: but always thinking like several steps ahead, ahead mm-hmm. and thinking about what were my goals? How was I going to get there? What possible roadblocks could be in the way? And what did I need to do to overcome those Um, I think I got that from my mom because she and herself, you know, despite all the hard times that we had toward the end of that high school time, she was a survivor. And I watched her very methodically, like, take four kids with no child support coming in and how she got us to to the point where we were. Yeah. I learned how to survive from her and I learned how to be very... You know, like, think ahead. Mm-hmm. You have to think ahead. And yeah. um, it benefited me, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that, I mean, I just, I feel like it's really rare, and we're, we're going to get into that. <laughs> but, yeah. Um... So you graduated high school yep. and you enrolled into college, taking a couple of mm-hmm. classes. You worked full time, and you were you were quickly promoted within the company um, mm-hmm. in your early twenties. And you actually went on to become a co-owner of a KFC franchise. Is that right? Yeah. So how did that all happen? Well, you know, <laughs> actually, I mean,
1: I I can easily lean to being a workaholic. Mm-hmm. There was a time I was going to school, working three jobs, mm-hmm. and um, and. And I was doing quite well for myself for as young as I was. Um, But my boss for KFC, who he was, he kept trying to get me more and more involved in their franchise. And. I became assistant manager first, mm-hmm. and I did that while still in high school. I was mm-hmm. an assistant manager, yeah. um, and then eventually within the Harmon franchise, is that you get promoted once you're a co-manager, you get a certain percentage of stock. Okay, and you get you start paying that off, and then eventually I got to be general manager, co-owner. was a larger amount of stock, so I owned thirty percent of the wow. of my store by the time I was like 20, wow. at 21. I mean, I was pretty young, got top 10 manager in the franchise by the time I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was doing really, really well for myself. But I also wasn't afraid of hard work. I would yeah. worked hard my whole life. Um, and the way their franchise worked is that you got a low profit low volume store you prove yourself and then you get a bigger store more profit and you and some people were making huge money amounts yeah. of money like yeah a lot of money and and i was like okay i'm doing really well at this uh-huh. it was never my dream <laughs> but i'm doing well and yeah. i mean very few people could say they ever went to the top 10 just like the Grammys for KFC. yeah, um, You get to walk the red carpet and, oh my. and I got a profit diamond and I got all these different trophies from things that I accomplished at the time that I was with KFC. And, you know, I was proud of achieving. Yeah. I'm a goal getter. And so yeah. for me to keep hitting these marks, in getting these accomplishments felt really good I bet. although it wasn't
0: anything I ever set out to do yeah you just you knew you had to survive and you were gonna take out mm-hmm. every opportunity you could to do it yeah yeah so okay so without us going deep into your childhood we're seeing what I would refer to would refer to as a remarkable period of instability it's not particularly ideal at but at the same time it's not particularly uncommon The more I talk to people, the more I've come to realize that instability in adolescence due to things like, you know, parents splitting up or moving across the country or growing up in a home where a child or, you know, teen is exposed to a parent who's either an addict or a parent, you know, suffering from mental illness. These things are, I'm sorry to say, so much more common than most of us realize. And, but what isn't common, what I rarely see is someone who responds the way you did, Tara. It, it's almost like you had a survival instinct like somehow you instinctively knew and this is going to sound cliche but you knew how to not only survive but you knew how to seek out like we said and to get what you needed seek out what you needed in order to thrive at a very young age so i I do want to ask you about your mindset back then um after you know once you had uh made these accomplishments because i find this so unusual but before i do i want to ask katira about this so katira because our response to trauma varies so much from person to person. In your experience, what are, are, you know, are there factors that determine how each of us respond to trauma? What causes one person to spiral into, you know, self-destructive behaviors and another to do the opposite?
2: Well, I mean, first, like, you know, trauma can be caused by a number of events, you know, such as accidents, abuse, neglect, um, the death of a loved one, and many other distressing events. And, you know, then there's what we refer to as complex trauma, that can be experienced as a result of repeated childhood traumas. So I just want to kind of like share a little bit of information about trauma. Um, you know, trauma can be difficult to recognize because it manifests so differently for for everyone. Right. And it often goes hand in hand with other mental health disorders like anxiety, depression. Um, and it's normal to experience stress after a trauma, but the symptoms normally diminish after several weeks. However, trauma then can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder that develops because the trauma experience was so distressing that the person just wants to avoid any reminder of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the brain just uh, does not process the experience into a memory. So that experience stays as a current problem instead of becoming a memory of a past event. So each time the person is reminded of the event, you know, we call them a flashback, means they experience the trauma again as though it's uh, happening again right now. So this can be very distressing, so the person does the utmost to stop the flashback and then avoid, like, any further reminder of the event so the event remains unprocessed. Mm-hmm. You know, and trauma is, like, what happens when, you know, the extreme stress of an event or a circumstance overwhelms, you know, a person's ability to cope, which then can lead to, you know, self-destructive behaviors. Right. Sometimes that can be, de- like, deliberate self-harm or, you know, substance misuse. So it really kind of comes down to how that person... Can cope. I mean, some people are very resilient, which is kind of like the story of Tara, a very resilient person. And some people don't have that aspect, so then they find all these other avenues to try to cope with it, and yeah. can lead to very negative behaviors. It's just so
0: interesting. It just it's just so fascinating that it manifests differently for every person. And just because you see someone who appears to have everything going on, it doesn't mean there's not something go- underneath it. Um, I do want to ask you, Tara, looking back, what, what do you remember about your mindset back then, more specifically pertaining to your work ethic, once you had sort of reached that pinnacle and were in that spot? Do you ever, do you remember having any flashbacks of, were you, were you sort of like trying to, actively trying to run away from it? Had you buried it? Yeah,
1: there was definitely some childhood trauma um, where I had some abuse um, by my mom's boyfriend that I was definitely hiding from. Yeah. And I felt as long as I kept myself very busy, then I didn't have time to think about it. Okay. Um, and it was something that I had started to get some treatment for, but it wasn't, the treatment I felt went way off track of what I felt it needed to be. And so I, I stopped that treatment and just felt fine. I'll just work a lot and then I don't have time to mm-hmm. think about it. Right. And that was my coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, you know, I was always really good of looking, knowing where I had gaps, and then finding what solutions I needed to help me overcome those gaps. Yeah. And for that time, it was work.
0: Yeah. It, I it, when when as we're having this discussion, it's bringing up, um so many people are coming to my mind who i kind of see the similar patterns and then i think back and i know a little bit about what they've gone through Mm -hmm. and but i never made the connection that sometimes we do use work as a way to cope um yeah it's just it's fascinating i hope hope it's fascinating for everybody else it's fascinating for me um okay so in 1999 when you were 24 so this is Mm -hmm. you know you you gotten to where you'd gotten work-wise, career-wise, but when you were 24, 1999, you lost your brother to a tragic accident on the job, and your life was put on hold as you made your way back to Oklahoma for his funeral. Can you tell us what happened and what happened with him, and then what transpired with you on the inside going through that? Sure. I um-
1: prior to 1999 my brother i had um, moved him to california to be with me and he lived with me for a number of years um, along with my other brother Mm -hmm. and um and when i was leaving for a trip a work trip kfc was sending me to hawaii for an incentive trip um, my brother informed me that he was leaving and would be gone when i got back and um he really missed his nieces and by this point my family had migrated to arkansas where my sister was living um with her two children and so that's where he was going to go back to as uh-huh. arkansas and um yeah I, I we both knew i had a trip you know to see my mom we would mended our relationship Um, And I was going to go on vacation to see her So he was like it's perfect because i'm going to see you anyway when you come to see mom for this vacation and so um, I went saw my mom saw my brother He paid me back what he had owed He had owed me a lot of money from the time that he had lived with me and he was so proud You could see that in his eyes. He was so proud to pay me back um, and he was excited that my mom, who by this point had remarried to a wonderful man to stabilize, you know, they had a very stable relationship, stable home life, and they were both electricians and they got my brother involved as an electrician as well. Mm-hmm. And he was an apprentice and, you know, he was very proud of the fact that he now has this stable, solid job. Yeah. Right. He no more working at Walmart or, <laughs> you know, these little jobs that yeah. he had had leading up to that. He was so proud he bought his own Bronco. He was finally moving into young manhood. Right. He was 19 um, and he was so happy to be able to pay me back. Um, I remember when we were talking, he had shared with me that how dangerous his work was. And that, you know, people could, you know, he could die at any time because of how dangerous this work is in electrical. And, and I remember telling him like, you know, don't take any chances. Life is too precious. But we didn't really, you know, you never expect something bad never. to really happen. So the conversation just moved on and, um, yeah, it moved on and then, i flew back to california came back and i remember i was working at kfc had been you know just back for you know that that i got back the night before and was working a full day and i get a phone call saying he was dead and i just remember screaming and falling to my knees and i remember because it was on april fool's day Mm. And just begging, like, please, just let this be a terrible, classless yeah. joke. Yeah, It's like, this can't be real. I true. just saw him. Yeah. This is impossible. I mean, this is a kid who overcame a coma and a hip disease in himself. He had had so many obstacles and was such a positive, lovely kid. How could he be taken from us? And um, and I remember I was so shaken I couldn't even drive myself home, mm-hmm. and I had to call my aunt, and um, who didn't live too far off, and they got me home mm-hmm. and got me to my brother's, um, TJ's or Trent's house and his the family he lived with um, Paulette she. You know, because I was like, how am I going to get there? I just came back from two yeah. vacations. Yeah. I have no money. I yeah. didn't have, you know, I, I I was not in a situation to get yeah. myself now back to Arkansas mm-hmm. on last minute. Because yeah. those tickets are really expensive. Yeah, take time off work and the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. my aunt loaned me the money to fly me out there. Because I, I knew instinctively I have to be there like right now absolutely like yesterday i have to be there and so we got me there and i remember i don't even remember that plane ride because my brain was just so spiraling if of just let it be a joke this has to be a joke this can't be real and um i get to arkansas my sister's husband picked me up from the airport he's a quiet man i barely know him Mm -hmm. and i just remember i'm quiet the whole ride um to my to my sister and my or we were in a hotel and so they got us all set up there and and i remember i was just all business like i had to like shut off emotion yeah and to go into business mode and focused like what happened tell me the detail i need to know like give it to me everything and um that's when we discovered that they didn't follow their lockout tag out procedure mm. um his boss had left early that day and um they had my brother up cutting into a conduit and someone decided they needed electricity somewhere else in the plant and they turned it on and he got electrocuted and um there was a lot of you know it was um it was a big company mm-hmm. and A lot of different conspiracy theories around that. Um, His hard hat came missing. There was a big ocean investigation. Um, But I remember I could let myself fall apart because I felt like I needed to be strong for my mom.
0: Right, I could see that. I
1: needed to, you know, my mom needed stability and strength and to be there to help her through that time. Um, You know, she had her husband... My sister had her husband. Mm -hmm. I was alone. Mm -hmm. So I would just go back to my room and fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my
0: gosh. Oh, my gosh. I am so sorry. Yeah. And you, I think you mentioned, either I dreamt it or you mentioned it it was like Aaron Brockovich level conspiracy. This was like a big deal. We're not going to say much more than that, but it was a big, big deal. Big company. And, um, yeah. Okay. Um. And they got away with it. Yeah, the, uh, they yeah. got away with murder, yeah. and so much
1: so that even after my brother was killed, another kid lost his legs just three Jeez. months later. It's not like they even right. Not that they this was learn. so life changing. Mm-hmm life ending Mm -hmm. that they're going to change policies and they're going to change everything no it happened again just months later and and i would say that was such a regret and we we had the best lawyer on it and we you know and they they dropped the case they felt it wasn't worth their time and and you only have three years in a statute of limitations for that and nobody else would pick up the case Yeah,
0: well probably because they thought they couldn't win it because of who they were going up against yeah it was such
1: a big big company
0: (sighs) okay all right um well unfortunately the tragedy didn't really end there um and uh, two months after your brother's accident you were the victim of a carjacking once you once you were back at home you received a blow to the face and eye by pistol Mm -hmm. resulting in glaucoma diagnosis what happened that day
1: I was you know I was struggling um my friends people didn't understand what I was going through everyone's trying to like oh you'll you know he's in a better place which is like the worst thing to say or, <laughs> or the other favorite oh we know how you feel oh, and that God. would just you know it was so cringy for
0: me what do and, people, real quick what what should we say I mean, I know what I would want to hear, but what 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 do what does someone say? They just listen, right? That's what I would think. listen. I can't even begin
1: to imagine yeah. what you're feeling, yeah, because people can't,
0: right? They can't, they can't, yeah. And don't tell them about your story. Yes, that's sometimes. Yeah, let's not oh, take great. it off and make yeah. it about you. Give them, their, they, give them their time to heal. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unless they ask. Sometimes you want to hear about someone else so you can relate, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and so I knew I needed to go and I was going to see some friends. And that time, you know, I smoked cloves Mm-hmm. And I was one of those like closet smokers. I only smoked when I'd go to a club. Oh, yes. You know, only a couple. But my family all smoked a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when I was coping in, in Arkansas... You know, again, I would go to be by myself and I would smoke a clove. Well, you could only get those at liquor stores. Yep. So I had went to this liquor store to pick up some cloves and to meet with some friends um, that I, you know, needed – I I needed to be around some people because I could feel myself drifting into depression. Mm-hmm. And – or I was definitely there for sure. Um, but I hadn't come to doing anything about it yeah. yet. Um. And so I went to this liquor store and I had a Mustang convertible. I loved that car. And I had just loaned it to a friend and he had had it washed. And um, and so I had it down, but I was getting cold. So I rolled up the windows. So I have these clean windows that are all the way rolled up. And I had my aunt's check to Mm. pay her back Mm. for the airfare. It was a cashier's check in the glove box. And... I go I get my clothes I'm coming out and this man starts walking near me or toward me and he's all ma'am ma'am and I remember looking back he's at him he's hitting on me <laughs> yeah thinking he's hitting on me and and I'm like I'm not in the time or place you yeah. know like just leave me alone and I'm all no thank you and so that I continue to walk towards my car and he's all ma'am and i I'm like oh, gonna want money or cigarettes you know I'm like mm-hmm. no thank you <laughs> and so I open my car door and he puts his hand on my car and he's all give me the keys and in my mind I'm still thinking he's sitting on me mm. and I'm like what this dude thinks what I, he's gonna drive me around in my car oh my goodness and I look back and I give him attitude I'm like I said no And so he pulls out a gun, and he's all, give me the keys, bitch. I'm going to effing kill you. Mm -hmm. And my mind is turning. And I remember thinking, my mom can't handle losing another kid. There's no way my mom could handle Mm -hmm. this. But the only words that would come out of my mouth were no. But I meant no, my mom can't. But... The only words was no. And so he hit me in the left temple with the gun and I fell down and um, I had my keys on a separator because I had at that time we had loctronics, that little chip to start your car. And so he got the loctronics piece and I think my house keys and um, he took my purse, which had my address and my work address and my work keys and um yeah it was it was so frightening um I did have to go they the police came they took pictures did fingerprinting because remember again the car was clean and I had just put up those windows um they never nothing ever happened um with that nothing came of it um but I, w- I remember I couldn't go home. I was mm-hmm. so afraid. He has my address. He has keys. You know, is he going to come back because I saw his face? You know, and so I remember going into um, my adopted family's house and I spent the night with them. And um, yeah, I, I I I was just, I was scared. And the next day... I needed to still get the follow up. They were afraid of a concussion, mm-hmm. and so um, I went to the emergency department. And, um, yeah, I went to the emergency department to get checked out. And at that emergency, it, it's an old hospital, and I remember I turned in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so then I went to back out, and I hit a lady on a oh, bicycle. Geez. Oh, jeez. Uh, as I'm backing out, and I'm crying, and I'm bawling, and oh, I'm geez. black and blue. Oh, God. And the lady was like, it's okay. <gasps> I'm okay. You're okay. Everything's fine. I can tell you're struggling. You know what? I'm going to pray for you. <gasps> and... Um, and so and I remember I had to circle the block to get back to where I needed to be for the emergency room. And I see her crossing again. <laughs> and she's like, I'm praying for you. Oh, praying for you. Like and and I'm just and I'm I'm just crying so hard. And yeah, it was just it was so bad. And my bosses, they came to meet me in the emergency department. Mm-hmm. Cause they knew at this point I have this gray cloud following me, right? And yeah. things are just so bad. And I'm like, I have no energy left. Like, I want to just lay in the ground and just get ran over. Yeah. I'm like, I can't fight anymore. Yeah. And so um, anyway, after that, I knew I needed to get this darn check to my aunt. I'm like, I need to get this out of my hands before anything else happens. And my aunt happens to be a therapist. And I get to her house. Hand her the check. She takes a look at me, and and I'm completely bruised. Right. Um, My forehead, my eye, my temple, I am so bruised. And, And she's like, what on earth happened? And I start telling her what happened, and I just break down. And she's all, look at you. She's all, you're crying, but there's no tears. You won't even give yourself permission to cry. And she's like, Tara... I know we've talked about therapy in the past. You have to get into therapy now. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, yeah. you've you got to refill that basket with some good. You've yeah. got to get yourself yeah. some tools. And, you know, I'd had that really bad experience with a therapist before. Right. And so um, I took her up on it. Yeah. And she got me connected with one of the therapists that she knew and and admired and appreciated. And she was fabulous she was fantastic i had to go every week i mean because i truly needed that much help mm-hmm. um and she was amazing and i saw her for many years mm-hmm. she um you know we we worked on boundaries a little bit yeah um because i didn't even know what that word What's meant a boundary yeah, yeah <laughs> i didn't even i had no clue yeah um yeah um, but she was she was amazing I was very thankful for that connection
0: yeah you know this brings up another question i would to ask katira about uh, how often do have you heard because i i mean i have felt this way where you do have a bad experience in therapy and it really prevents you from getting the care you need because you're like oh i hate therapy oh therapists are right. so like
2: how i mean i'm sure have you heard this oh, all the time <laughs> yeah yeah you know and then the biggest part is too and i'll tell t- i'm honest with clients up front like you know if you don't feel a good connection from the first or second therapy session, then it's time to, to switch to a different provider because people get this thought that, well, I have to, get to keep you know continue to see the same provider. Well, no, you don't. You have the option to change. Right. Because again, that leaves people to have like, again, negative experiences. They don't want to ever seek therapy again. Yeah. But once you find that therapist that you connect with, that you build trust and rapport with, it's, it's, it's so life-changing. Life-changing. It's just completely different. And then you get the help that you actually need. Right yeah Um, yeah
1: and for me it wasn't about the connection because i think my therapist was actually fine for me i went i saw the therapist first and that was fine i would just been forced to like recognize that i had gone through all Mm. like every type during health class in high school we were going through types of abuse yeah and when we went through that section i was summer school i had a breakdown yeah. because I realized I had gone through oh, every uh-huh. type of abuse there was and how messed up must I be as a person <sighs> to have experienced all this And here I am a, a senior in Young high school girl, yeah. and I had went through all of that and so and I was dealing with flashbacks and I was dealing with things I had shoved in a closet mm-hmm. for a very long time. And so my therapist was fine, but they made me see the psychiatrist. Oh, okay, That's where the problem happened for me. Oh. And the psychiatrist told me that I was bipolar.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I was I was so angry at that diagnosis. I'm like, you meet me once and yeah. you diagnose me bipolar, put me on all these medications that made me feel like a zombie uh-huh. when in fact, it was the fact that I hadn't dealt dealt with your trauma with yeah. all this trauma and the time I try to, It's all, it's like you opened up Pandora's box and now you don't want to see me for six weeks again. And I'm forced to deal with this on my own. Right. That was my challenge. It's like, no, I'm not working through this. I'm sent to deal with it on my own and I'm not, I'm not equipped for that. Yeah. And so, um,
0: well, don't you think that kind of falls on the shoulders of the therapist to know how, when and how to open up that box slowly and gently in a way they can, handle I mean mm-hmm. I would think that would fall on the shoulders okay. of, a, of a qualified oh, yeah. therapist to know I have a friend literally almost verbatim told me recently exactly what you said she said she just started therapy the box was open stuff spilled out and it was it wasn't good it let's just say it was not good at all it made her worse yeah. and so yeah. um she's actually um inquired about seeing <laughs> so um so yeah so i i think that that's very very common and i would i would hope that therapists would have better um judgment when right. when working with people but um when mm. so when i listen to you tell us your story during the pre-interview. Obviously, what I kept seeing and what I'm seeing today, and we'll can continue to see throughout the episode, is this consistent pattern of you, you know, gaining your footing and getting knocked down, and then you, then you get your footing again, and then and then you're dealt with something else that you know temporarily knocks you down. So, in this process, what is the what is the prevailing thought process, or is there a prevailing thought process that? motivated you to keep going. I I know that you had these, you know, obviously at this point, this was a little bit of a rock bottom for you where there was a fetal position moment and everything. Yeah. But was that um, drive in the back of your head to keep getting up or did you ever have, was there ever a giving up moment or, or, or a spiral moment?
1: Yeah, um, I think there could have been, if it could have been a rock bottom spiral moment If I hadn't gotten therapy when I did. Okay. You know, I was very fortunate that, you know, the relationship with my therapist that my aunt connected me with was a good one. Um, She really made sure that we had very clear goals and was working towards, you know, and they described it almost that I have a basket and it's empty. Mm -hmm. And I need to refill this basket with goodness and happiness. And at that time I didn't feel like I could. Mm -hmm. You know, I I remember avoiding holidays because my brother can't celebrate those holidays. I remember my brother was born on Halloween, Mm -hmm. died on April Fool's Day. And so the next holiday coming up was his birthday. And and I, you know, we were always a family where we celebrated halloween big Mm -hmm. my brother thought when he was little that everyone got candy and stuff for his birthday (laughs) you know so halloween was like big decorations and you know it was a big holiday for us but i couldn't i couldn't do halloween and then christmas came i'm like how can i celebrate christmas when my brother doesn't get to celebrate christmas yeah um, and so instead I found a way to do something that felt right and felt good. Um, there, one of my co-managers that now work for me, he had, would been struggling financially. His kids weren't going to have Christmas. And so I bought him his Christmas tree as the gift from this restaurant, And then um, for Christmas morning, I showed up with a bag full of presents for his kids. Wow. Because he was like, this is great. Thank you so much. But they still, you know, my kids aren't going to get Christmas. So instead, I went and I brought Christmas. And I'm like, oh, in your move, Santa didn't know where to bring your gifts. You know they left them at the restaurant so i came over with a big bag of gifts and and brought it over to them and and that's how i did that first christmas that was the only way i could do that first christmas is uh, i can't celebrate but at least i could help somebody else celebrate i've
0: actually heard of this before and i maybe you guys have too where when you're going through something really tough sometimes the best medicine is to do something for someone else I don't. Have you heard of this? I have. I, yes. I don't know what that's called, but there is something to that. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there is something. I don't know if there's for I, it, the, the, Yeah, I don't but know I've the heard term of it either. But yeah. it's like when you. It's like it's like if you're suffering and you volunteer, or yeah. you're suffering and you uh, offer a nice gesture. There's something about it that that help, I don't know, but I think that. So that's how you spent Christmas. So did that help? Yeah. Did you feel? It like It did. There
1: was a, I I felt like it was what I was meant to do. Yeah. I felt like that's really, you know, and and it's weird because people talk about things happening for a reason, things happening for a purpose, and we don't always know God's plan. Right. Right. And so, you know, at that point, I couldn't imagine there, how could there be a plan? Because I was very, very angry with God at this okay. point. Right. Yes. I was extremely angry with God in that moment. Um, I felt like, Yeah, I felt abandoned and um, because I couldn't see any rhyme or reason. But um, what's sad, though, is I do think that my brother's loss probably saved my mom. You know, she became a kinder, more generous person through all of that. And my brother was already an angel. Yeah. You know, he already accomplished, I think, what God had set for him. Yeah. And he laid the path for me to have a different future. Um, and we'll, I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was hard. And I was trying to find, and I remember at that time, like searching for answers. Mm-hmm. I remember going to, to, um, fortune tellers mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> psychics yeah. just trying to find any way to put rhyme or reason yeah. Yeah. to why this happened.
0: Yeah, like you want to find meaning in it. Yeah. Yeah, like this has to mean something. There has to be mm-hmm. me- Yeah, yeah. I, I can completely relate to that. um Okay, so fast forward a little bit to 2004. You, you, did, you got married to your first husband around age 27, 28, and the two of you made arrangements mm-hmm. prior to the wedding to have – His grandfather officiate the wedding, but tragically, he passed away shortly before you were married. And shortly after the wedding, your husband's father took his own life, which resulted in your then-husband abusing alcohol to cope with the loss of both his grandfather and father. Uh, We're switching gears a bit, so you're thrown into this new situation. At what point did it become clear to you that your then-husband struggled with an addiction to alcohol, and how did it impact you and your marriage going forward? Yeah. um Yeah.
1: You know, it was hard because, you know, with his grandfather, he had never dealt with loss before. And, you know, his grandfather, that was really hard. And I'm watching this and I'm watching his drinking increase and I'm starting to have concerns. But, you know, every time I'd bring it up, I would get the excuse of, oh, well, you know, you want this big wedding and I'm an introvert And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm nervous about being in front of people. And I'm like, yeah, well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, That's true. I am pushing that. And then, um, you know, and then his dad, and and even after the marriage, I saw it still continue. (coughs) And, you know, I had shared that with his mom, my concerns. And then his dad finds out that we're married and he wasn't invited to the wedding, nor did he even know there was a serious relationship. And he commits suicide and so there was a lot of guilt okay. um the last words that my ex husband shared with his dad were not kind ones yeah. and so he felt really bad and his drinking just magnifies right. even more right. and it was scary because i don't want to feel like a failure and i'm starting to feel that way and i feel like if i end my marriage people will say i didn't take this serious to begin with i just got married to get married um and you know i've always been very cognizant of other people's opinions of me of course (laughs) i mean especially when you're young yeah and yeah and i'm old and i'm thinking i'm older to begin with you know the one thing that i took from all that happened to me when i was young was that you know my mom was left there trying to juggle and you know all these kids and life circumstance, I wanted to be older when I mm-hmm. got married. I wanted to be, you know, I didn't want to follow those same footsteps. Yes. I wanted to bring that stability and I wanted kids. But it was, it was out of control. The yeah. drinking was so bad. And he would get violent and he would wake me up in the middle of the night, like, you know rip the blankets off. You know, the internet's not working. You need to come fix this. I play my video games. And I remember like, what are you talking about? I mean, his drinking was insane. Yeah. And
0: and then it, it, it was there... A level of shame connected to that because you were now in this marriage did you share it with anybody share what was going on
1: yeah i had a close group of friends and yeah. i've always been very fortunate that god always put really strong people and a strong whether it be friend group or my foster parents my adopted yeah. parents there was all these always these individuals of strength that helped me during those times and so my friends were watching this unfold they weren't happy about yeah. it either I think to a point they actually started getting upset with me with the fact that you know I was remaining in this marriage and how kooky it had become with um, the drinking and um, yeah I was I was very fortunate to have them there were times I I felt like we were almost separated as much of the marriage as we were together yeah because I would get to a final stage and then I would go and stay with my friends. Or um, there was a couple of times that I would stay at the hotel with another one of my friends. Um, because things would just get out of control.
0: Yeah. And, you know, because over time you mentioned he had become more violent. He was, you yeah. know, when you said you wanted out of the marriage, he would threaten suicide. And at one point he locked you out of the home. And But after the final outburst, you left and you refused to return until he got sober. So yeah. what can you share, you know, with us about that yeah so um or i mean i don't want yeah. to make you talk about any yeah. part of this in, unless you're comfortable no if, no no it's fine the abuse and everything but it's um yeah. his
1: drinking got out of hand and the time that he got re- like really violent um i was afraid i was gonna get like hit Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and i remember he had a chair actually over my head mm-hmm. with my back into the glass door and i was just so afraid that I was going through that
0: glass door. That's all for part one of this episode. The story continues in part two and is available now.